0: Today is January 27th, 2021, and this is episode number 40, number 40 of Blurred Laws in Life with me, your host, Richard Bush. On today's episode of Blurred Laws in Life, it's all about Rudy. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani has 1.3 billion reasons to lose sleep tonight. It's the gift that keeps on giving to Blurred Laws in Life and the listeners of Blurred Laws in Life. Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani how could we ever have predicted that they would provide so much interesting compelling information and that we at their unfortunate expense could make so much out of blurred laws and life but before we get to rudy 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 which of course is as many of you might know play on Rudy Rudiger, the walk-on at Notre Dame, there's other things to talk about on this episode of Blurred Laws and Life. First, in this episode number 40 of Blurred Laws and Life, I am truly inspired this week. And I am inspired this week by none other than Mr. Tom Brady, who at 43 years of age is now going to his 10th Super Bowl. There have been 53 Super Bowls, if I'm not mistaken. Tom Brady has played in one-fifth, just about, of all Super Bowls. And he did it this year without practice, without a preseason, going to a new team his dedication to his craft, his dedication to winning and to leadership is inspiring. So why am I talking about it on Blurred Laws in Life? Because of the name life, there's a life component to Blurred Laws in Life. And to succeed in any field, in any capacity, you have to be single-minded, you have to pay attention to detail, you have to care only about winning, and you have to do things the right way. And so many people, shockingly, seem to dislike Tom Brady. I've read a lot of comments after Tampa Bay beat Green Bay this past week to go to the Super Bowl, picking at scabs, picking at old wounds, criticizing Tom Brady. But I think it's just because he's successful and because he's a winner and In today's society, it seems like people have to apologize for winning, but we don't apologize for winning, especially when it's done the right way. And that's what makes this country great, and that's what makes our society great. People who strive to win doing it the right way and are single-mindedly focused on doing it. So I just wanted to tip my hat on Blurred Laws in Life to Tom Brady, for his 10th Super Bowl, win or lose, and he's going up against the great Kansas City Chiefs team in the Super Bowl in two weeks. Um, he is an inspiration to me, maybe second only to Elon Musk, who is also a, a great inspiration to me. And I just wanted to mention that because it's something that we probably will never see in professional sports again. Now, also before we get to Mr. Rudy Giuliani on episode number 40 of Blurred Laws in Life, I read a disturbing story in the news about a 15-year-old boy who strangled his mother. And again, you might be asking, why am I bringing that up on Blurred Laws in Life? It is because of the argument that the lawyer for the boy who strangled his mother, made. So apparently, this defendant, Gregory Ramos, pleaded guilty in December to first-degree murder, abuse of a body, and tampering with evidence. He was sentenced to 45 years in prison, with the sentence to be reviewed after 25 years and he'll be on probation for the rest of his life. Um, he's now 17 years old. When he was 15 years old in 2018, he got into a fight with his mother over his grades. His grades weren't good. In response to his mother criticizing his grades, he admitted to strangling his mother to death, then calling two friends to help him bury her body and stage a robbery at his house. Now, during the court proceedings, in trying to seek leniency for this gruesome murder of his mother, Ramos's public defender told the judge that Mr. Ramos, now 17 years old, regrets his crime and is trying to better himself behind bars. Of course, now that he's caught after staging this ridiculous cover-up, he now regrets killing his mother. This is the quote that got me. The public defender, Matthew Phillips, said, quote, He, meaning Ramos, is extremely remorseful, and he regrets his actions every day. And he's been trying to be productive. While he's been in custody, he has been obtaining a high school diploma, period. End quote. Like, sure, now he cares about his grades. After strangling his mother because she criticized him for his bad grades, now he actually wants to get good grades. Well, it's a little bit late for Mr. Ramos, who initially called 911 after arriving home from school on November 2nd, 2018. And when the detectives arrived, he told them that he came home to discover that his house had been robbed, He alleged his mother was missing, but of course her van was still running in the driveway. Upon further interrogation, he changed his story, saying that they fought over a D grade he'd received in school. During the altercation, he strangled her, and he said it took about 30 minutes for him to kill her, after which he called two friends to help him cover up the killing. But now, all of a sudden, the public defender's defense is Mr. Ramos regrets his crime and he's trying to get his high school diploma. Good luck with that, Mr. Ramos. On prior episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, ever since the storming of the Capitol building, we have discussed the aftermath. And what I take great pride in, of course, is the fact that many of the things that we said would happen are happening. On prior episodes of Blurred Laws in Life, we pointed out that following the attack on the Capitol building, the House of Representatives voted to impeach Donald Trump and that it would then go possibly to the Senate for a trial. We discussed that the complication is that the trial will not take place until after Mr. Trump leaves office, and we discussed the fact that both parties may have an incentive nonetheless to do so because a conviction would mean, among other things, that Mr. Trump would never be able to hold federal office again. We also talked about the fact that many of the insurrectionists, many of the rioters, many of those who were responsible for the deaths that occurred in the Capitol building were being investigated, located, charged with various crimes and that the crimes that they are being charged with while initially seemingly minor, such as entering a federal building, trespass, things of that nature, would be, over time, raised to much more serious offenses, such as committing conspiracy for insurrection, which could lead to 20 years in prison, and that Mr. Giuliani and Mr. Trump may face those charges as well. We also discussed that there was a real question about whether charging or trying Mr. Trump after he left office would be deemed constitutional. Just in the past week, many of those issues have become clearer, and the facts continue to be developed. This is one of the most interesting times in our nation's history, and I certainly realize that the things we talk about will be listened to once this completely plays out, once this circus, and this melodrama completely plays out over time. And people will be listening to this podcast, hopefully, for years to come. And I feel it's my responsibility to talk about these things now in real time as they develop. So just today, the Senate voted on whether the trial of Mr. Trump following his departure from office was constitutional and the vote was 55 to 45 that it was not unconstitutional to hold this trial after Mr. Trump left office. In other words, that it was legal and did not violate the constitution. Five Republicans voted with the Democrats And that is why we had a 55 to 45 vote. That does not portend very well for a conviction. If the Republicans, if 45 Republicans believed it was unconstitutional potentially to try Mr. Trump after he left office, it would be very difficult to get any of those 45 to vote for a conviction. And two thirds of the Senate are required to convict Mr. Trump. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But it seems to me that the odds of that conviction will be difficult to obtain. In the trial that takes place, the supporters of Mr. Trump, their words will certainly be used as evidence to haunt Mr. Trump. At least five of his supporters, Mr. Trump's supporters who took part in this insurrection at the Capitol building, who are now facing federal charges, have stated they were taking orders from Mr. Trump when they marched on Capitol Hill on January 6th to challenge the certification of Joe Biden's election win. One of them said, quote, I feel like I was basically following my president. I was following what we were called to do. He asked us to fly there. He asked us to be there. Jenna Ryan, a Texas real estate agent, Uh, who posted a photo on Twitter of herself flashing a peace sign next to a broken Capitol window, told the news. Another one, uh, Jacob Chansley, who was photographed on the dais of the Senate, shirtless with face paint and a furry hat with horns, told the FBI that he traveled, quote, at the request of the president that all patriots come to D.C. on January 6, 2021. Many of these people who were charged actually lobbied Mr. Trump for a pardon before Mr. Trump left office, and of course, they did not get one. This dude, Chansley, wrote a threatening note to then-Vice President Mike Pence that said, quote, it's only a matter of time, justice is coming, period, end quote. Mr. Trump was quoted in his speech to these insurrectionists saying, quote, we will never give up we will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. Later, he said, if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Others said they traveled to Washington, D.C. and were simply, quote, following the president's instructions, end quote. Another said that they were following. Mr. Trump's instructions when he said, quote, something about taking Pennsylvania Avenue, period, end quote. The issue about whether the trial of President Trump after his impeachment is unconstitutional is based upon the language in the Constitution, which says, quote, judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. So the argument is that the language in the Constitution that says judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office means that it is unconstitutional to have a trial of impeachment following the president's departure from office. There are arguments on both sides of the equation, but the trial will take place. And earlier I said that with 45 of the Republicans voting to hold the trial unconstitutional does not bode well for conviction. But one of the Republicans who voted that the trial may be very well unconstitutional said it's not necessarily so that Mr. Trump will not be convicted. Senator Rob Portman of Ohio claimed that his vote meant only that he was in favor of debating the constitutionality issue and that it didn't necessarily mean he won't vote to convict. It's a totally different issue as far as I'm concerned, Portman said. Others felt that the Constitution did not bar this trial despite the language I just read. And remember, there's two parts to that language. The first says that the impeachment trial will be restricted to removal from office. But then it goes on to say, and to prevent that person being impeached from holding federal office in the future. And seizing on that language, Senator Toomey of Pennsylvania said, quote, in my view, the text and context of the Constitution The meaning of the term impeachment to the founders and the most relevant precedents indicate that it is constitutionally permissible for the Senate to consider the impeachment of President Trump. Democrats have maintained that they have precedent on their side, that while no president has been tried by the Senate after having left office, Secretary of War William Belknap was tried in the Senate in 1876 after he had already resigned. And legal experts, such as Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe and University of Texas Law Professor Stephen Vladek, say the trial is constitutional because, as I mentioned a moment ago, one of the considerations for the Senate is whether to bar Trump from future federal office. Senator Chris Coons of Delaware said as follows in supporting this trial, and this is something for which I completely concur. The only thing that I need to know is that in the midst of an assault on our Capitol where thousands of armed and angry rioting supporters of President Trump were beating Capitol police officers, in one case bludgeoning a Capitol police officer to death and breaking into the Capitol and threatening the Congress and trying to stop the certification of an electoral vote. At that moment, President Trump was gleeful and declined requests to dispatch the National Guard and took no action to restrain his supporters and made no effort to check on the safety of his own vice president or the leaders of Congress. That alone to me is evidence enough to convict on the charge that was presented to the Senate yesterday. To me, there has to be accountability and impeachment is the accountability tool the Constitution gave us. This trial will go on, this trial will take place. It is a historic moment in this country's history. There has to be accountability. You know, a lot of times, and I face this in my own practice of law, issues get stale, people have moved on. They say, what's the point? Well, the point is that if there is no accountability, then history will repeat itself. There have to be consequences for actions like this. The president of the United States told his supporters to march on Capitol Hill. They believed they were instructed to attack the Capitol building. President Trump, the leader of this country, did not call out the National Guard to protect the senators who were voting on the results of the Electoral College. He wanted them intimidated. There have to be consequences for that action. He may not be convicted because of partisan political reasons, but this is the most serious charge ever levied against a sitting president of the United States. And the fact that he left office cannot mean that we do not see this proceeding through to the end. Now, as I mentioned a little bit earlier in this show and also on prior episodes of Blurred Laws and Life, the charges have been trickling in against those that attack Capitol Hill. They've been tracked down and charges have been trickling in and the serious charge of sedition has not been levied as of yet. However, according to reports... There are now more than 400 suspects about to be charged and the federal government expects to bring sedition charges, quote unquote, very soon. We are working on those sedition cases, said Michael Sherwin, the chief federal prosecutor overseeing the inquiry, adding that officials expected the investigation to bear fruit very soon. The charges, as I've mentioned, carry a maximum punishment of 20 years and would be among the most serious for those in the armed attack to disrupt Congress counting of President Joe Biden's state-certified electoral victory. So far, 138 people have been arrested. And Mr. Sherwin said the numbers are quote-unquote growing by the hour. While the public has flooded authorities with more than 200,000 pieces of digital media to review, the federal government continues to Plea for further investigation, including for the suspect or suspects who planted pipe bombs at the headquarters of the Republican and Democratic National Committees. The federal government has offered a $75,000 reward for information leading to an arrest in the case of those pipe bombs. These people who attacked the Capitol building, it's actually a joke when you look at their brazen behavior. Now, as is par for the course, they're sorry. They were just following the orders of their president, like blind drones who had no mind of their own. As I said, when this first happened, they thought it was funny. They thought it was cute. They brazenly posed for pictures that were posted on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube. They posed for cameras, for photographs. They went on Facebook bragging about their conduct. Now they're facing federal charges. Now they're going to jail. Now it's not so fucking cute, is it, to attack the Capitol building. These people are a disgrace and I hope they throw the book at them, which it appears they will. And as I mentioned, it is important that we do that. I feel strongly that if this was a Black Lives Matter march, if this was a riot comprised mostly of African Americans, on the scene, President Trump would have called out the National Guard. There would have been pepper spray and rubber bullets and tear gas. They never would have got in the Capitol building and there would have been massive arrests on the spot. It is important for this country to show everyone that you cannot do something like this, no matter the color of your skin or your political affiliation. You know, President Trump made a point that he was the law and order president when Antifa and other left wing anarchists were protesting in Portland and other places, which he should. We can't have riots in the street, but isn't it stark to see the contrast between how those people were treated and the massive assembling of the military and the National Guard to combat those protesters? And can we not forget how President Trump called in the military when left-wing Protesters were in front of the White House and President Trump showed up with a Bible outside of the White House, remember that? Surrounded by the military to protect him and to protect others. What a stark contrast between that and what we witnessed in front of the Capitol building where President Trump refused to call out the National Guard. Where President Trump said that the protesters were very special and he loved them. We have to have equal justice under the law and it is imperative for this country to send a signal to everyone that everyone will be treated the same when they engage in violent protest. When they kill, when they murder, when they attack, they will go to jail and they will be charged and the charges will represent the most serious charges that can be brought. That message has to be sent because otherwise rightfully the minorities among us will feel like this is a two-class society with two different tiers of justice. And in history, in this country, that has been the case, but that cannot be the case any longer. So that message has to be sent and I'm happy to see that it is being sent and that no expense is being spared. To bring those who attacked the Capitol building to justice. Now it's time for Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. In a prior episode of Blurred Laws in Life, and I feel sort of Nostradamus-like in this regard, you will recall that I went through the lawsuits that Mr. Giuliani brought on behalf of President Trump against various state election results. And I made a point to say that we live, if you recall, in an Orwellian society where people just say things that aren't true and that when you inspect what is actually being claimed, it's not what's being said in the actual court of law. Our minds are being purposely poisoned with doublespeak and misinformation. So since the election, Mr. Giuliani and others on behalf of Mr. Trump have been Pounding us as American citizens, as world citizens, with this onslaught of fraud. The election was stolen. There was fraud. These voting machines were fraudulent over and over and over again. But as I pointed out, when you inspect the legal cases that were brought, and I inspected, I believe, one that was in Wisconsin and one in Pennsylvania, and I quoted the language from the court decision in Pennsylvania, where the court said that Mr. Giuliani admitted that this is not a fraud case, that they weren't alleging fraud. They were complaining about the rules that were established before the election took place, but it was a day late and a dollar short. You can't complain about the rules that are in place after the election takes place. It strikes of being a sore loser. Well, now, The company that owns the voting machines, that run the voting machines, Dominion Voting Systems, has sued Rudy Giuliani for defamation and is seeking damages against him for making the statements that he did publicly for $1.3 billion. Now, here's the interesting thing about the law on defamation, When a lawsuit is filed, everything in that pleading is absolutely privileged from a claim of defamation. So a lawyer who files a pleading in court can not be sued for defamation based upon the statements made in that pleading. However, there is nothing to prevent a defendant. No immunity attaches to statements that a lawyer makes outside of that pleading, outside of that lawsuit, if he is making defamatory statements. There is a fair reporting privilege where reporting the contents of a pleading may still be privileged. Usually that applies to the press, maybe not to a lawyer necessarily, but arguably it might But here, Mr. Giuliani actually went well beyond, apparently, according to Dominion, with reporting anything in the pleading. And of course, they're claiming that that fair reporting privilege, even if it's raised, which it may not even be raised, it only applies in certain jurisdictions, and I don't think it would apply in this scenario, would not apply in any event. And how do we know that? We know that from the actual pleading, the first paragraph of the pleading of the complaint where Mr. Rudy Giuliani is being sued for $1.3 billion by Dominion. And this is why I brought up the Pennsylvania case that I talked about earlier because guess what? The language from that decision is quoted in the very first paragraph of this $1.3 billion lawsuit against Rudy Giuliani. This is what it says. During a hearing contesting the results of the 2020 election in Pennsylvania, Rudy Giuliani admitted that the Trump campaign, quote, doesn't plead fraud, end quote, and that, quote, this is not a fraud case, period, end quote. Although he was unwilling to make false election fraud claims about Dominion and its voting machines, In a court of law, because he knew those allegations are false, he and his allies manufactured and disseminated the big lie, and they have big lie in quotes, which foreseeably went viral and deceived millions of people into believing that Dominion had stolen their votes and fixed the election. Giuliani reportedly demanded. $20,000 per day for that big lie. Remember, I mentioned that in a prior episode of Blurred Laws in Life. He wanted $20,000 a day from President Trump for his quote-unquote legal work. The complaint continues. But he also cashed in by hosting a podcast where he exploited election falsehood to market gold coins, supplements, cigars, and protection from cyber thieves. Even after the United States Capitol had been stormed by rioters who had been deceived by Giuliani and his allies, Giuliani shirked responsibility for the consequences of his words and repeated the big lie again. This defamation action follows. This is not the first lawsuit that Dominion has filed. They've taken legal action against other Trump allies who helped the ex-president peddle what they claim are outrageous and baseless conspiracy theories involving the company. They've also sued Trump campaign lawyer Sidney Powell, who's also been front and center with Mr. Giuliani, for the same $1.3 billion over her accusations that the company's machines rigged the election in favor of Joe Biden. They've sent a cease and desist letter to that dude, Mike Lindell, the MyPillow CEO, ordering him to preserve and retain all documents relating to Dominion, ...and his alleged smear campaign against the company... ...and they've promised imminent litigation against him. In December, a Dominion worker filed lawsuits... against several parties who pushed this stolen election lie... ...that they call it, including Trump and conservative media outlets... ...OAN and Newsmax, claiming that the falsehoods led to death threats. One of the lies, they say, spread by Mr. Giuliani and other Trump allies make what they claim is a demonstrably false claim that Dominion was founded in Venezuela to rig elections in favor of dictator Hugo Chavez. In fact, Dominion was founded in 2002 in John Poulos's basement in Toronto to help blind people vote on paper ballots, Dominion has stated in his lawsuit. Dominion machines, they point out, were used in at least 24 states during the 2020 election including states where Mr. Trump won. As relates to Mr. Giuliani, dozens of prominent attorneys in New York state have called for Mr. Giuliani's censure for his role in inspiring the January 6th insurrection mob attack against the Capitol, and the chairman of the New York State Senate Judiciary Committee called for the state court system to disbar Mr. Giuliani. Last week, On Thursday, a national group of lawyers filed a lengthy ethics complaint against Mr. Giuliani that alleged he knowingly lied about the election. The nonpartisan group Lawyers Defending American Democracy urged the state of New York to investigate Mr. Giuliani's actions and suspend his law license in the meantime. So I hope that this time in the spotlight for Mr. Giuliani has been worth it. This time on television, this time representing the former president of the United States and all the notoriety that has come with it is worth it to him because he now faces a massive lawsuit. He faces disbarment. He faces public censure. He's been publicly ridiculed. And at 77 years of age, the question has to be, has it been worth it, Mr. Giuliani? Has all of this nonsense been worth it? I think Dominion is in this for the long haul. I think they're gonna see this case through. I hope they do see this case through. And of course, you know, as it develops, we will cover every detail of it on Blurred Laws and Life. I have often said over the past year or two to friends that Donald Trump became a cult-like figure. And the reason I said that was because to those who followed him, to those who supported him, you could not speak rationally to those people. You could not have a debate. You could not point out anything that he did that seemed inappropriate, improper or unbecoming the president of the United States. They had answers for everything and defended him to the end. One of the Capitol rioters who has been arrested, his attorney went on television last night and confirmed this. He said that he refers to Mr. Trump as a quote unquote cult leader. Donald Trump was a cult leader. You have somebody like Garrett Miller, who is the person who was charged with threatening to kill AOC, who is not very politically involved, hadn't even voted much earlier in his life, loses his job, gets focused on the Internet, and you have, as I said, a cult leader telling him to do X, Y, and Z to protect the country. That's what cult leaders do, he said. They prey on vulnerable people. And not to excuse what Miller, his client, did, his comments were vile, disgusting, and what have you, but we have had discussions with him and really we're trying to deprogram him. The more he gets removed from Trump, the more he's removed from the vitriol of Facebook and Twitter, he is going back to the Miller that his family remembers. That's what his attorney said on television last night, and it's... Kind of true. My brother, who is a, was somewhat of a Trump supporter, I think now seeing perhaps the error of his ways, very intelligent person, much smarter than me, asked me the other day whether it was fair, he didn't think it was fair, that Mr. Trump was removed from Facebook, banned from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. He thought that was a violation of somehow the First Amendment. I've explained to him that it's not, that these are private companies, and the First Amendment pretty much relates to government-sponsored prohibition, restriction on speech, but of course it's not absolute, as I've said before. You can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater, hate words, fighting words. There are all kinds of exceptions to the First Amendment. There is nothing that prohibits Mr. Trump or his followers from starting their own social media network and their own type of Twitter, their own vehicle. But I, for one, am glad that he is no longer allowed to tweet, that he's no longer allowed to spew his hate and to brainwash those who have supported him. I now actually see, I never thought I would see in my lifetime, but I actually now see how a person like Hitler came to power and how he brainwashed a country into what Nazi Germany became. I've seen very intelligent people in today's day and age brainwash. And if you listen to the lawyer for one of the Capitol rioters talk about it, many of his followers, and and it's not just him, many of the others that are arrested were saying that they received these messages from Donald Trump that they were following their leader and the leader of the United States of America into doing what they did. It's really actually pretty scary stuff, but there is hope and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And as I said on last week's episode of blurred laws in life with a new administration with Joe Biden as president of the United States With some degree of return to normalcy, it feels better. It feels much better. And it feels like perhaps we have woken up from what seems now like just a very bad dream. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode number 40 of Blurred Laws in Life. Who knows what's going to happen in the next week? Who knows? How this circus will continue, how it will unfold, what new lawsuits will be brought, what new charges will be brought. The trial certainly in the Senate will be somewhat of a circus, but rest assured, as you know, we will be here on Blurred Laws and Life to cover all of it. And don't forget, once again, to follow us on the Blurred Laws and Life Instagram page now with 213 followers have a good week everybody and i'll be sure to talk to you next week on blurred laws and life and remember they're not booing they're just chanting rudy rudy